Hail to the guardians of the watchtowers of the east powers of air and invention, hear me. Hail to the guardians of the watchtower of the south powers of fire and feelings, hear me. Hail to the guardians of the watchtowers of the west powers of water and intuition, hear me. Hail to the guardians of the watchtower of the north by the powers of mother and earth, hear me. Hey guys, welcome back to the second part of Randall Lee Smith. Part one was pretty wild, wasn't it? Well, I don't think you're going to be ready for what you're about to hear in this one. Remember when I said that Giles County would hear about Randall again? Stay tuned for a continuation of this true crime story, as it takes a turn towards witchcraft, the occult, Part 2 As we discussed in Part 1, Randall was released from prison 15 years after the murders of Robert Malford Jr. and Susan Ramsey, which would make it 1996. I was one years old. One years old. Anyway, with his mother passing in 2000, Randall was on probation living off money his mother saved up frame, and six years later, his probation ended. According to Sherman Smith in Part 1, Randall was different, socially. The lies never stopped, however. He adopted a dog named Bo, which kept him company and helped with his lonely, pathetic life. Then, the year 2008 had arrived, and Randall was thirsty for blood. Randall's water and other essentials were turned off at his home, and then all of a sudden, he went missing for two weeks. There were missing person posters pinned up all around Giles County, in hopes someone may know where Randall was, but he wasn't found until May 6th. Sean Farmer and Scott Johnson were childhood friends from Bluefield, Virginia that enjoyed fishing. Their favorite spot was around a place called Dismal Creek. And if you don't know where that is, it's just a mile or two from the shelter Robert and Susan were killed. Huh. The two friends would be there that day. 
Randall appeared wearing camouflage clothing and what was said was expensive-looking boots, insinuating that he may have stolen the pair of boots from somewhere. Randall's appearance was frail and sickly. His dog, Bo, that was with him, was bloated due to starvation and dehydration. Scott, who was 39 years old at the time, first saw Randall with Bo as he creeped towards him unexpectedly. Randall started rambling. I don't think there are many fish in that creek. I ain't been able to catch a single one. However, Scott was dumbfounded and showed Randall all the trout he caught before meeting Randall. Scott felt sorry for the starving man and offered Randall some fish. Randall invited himself to come hang out with Scott and Sean as he lied about having a campsite close to theirs. That afternoon, Sean Farmer, who was 33, set up their tent for nightfall. Randall had introduced himself as... Ricky Williams. The three had dinner together, and the two fishermen caught on quickly how full of shit Randall really was. Randall told them, I attended Virginia Tech and have written papers for NASA. They assumed he was an alcoholic and just let... They just let him ramble. But the rambling continued, and the two friends became tiresome of it. Randall would just not leave. It was finally night, and Randall began to move. He stood and said to his dog, Mom, boy. Trying to be nonchalant, Randall walked behind Sean and pulled out a twenty-two caliber pistol and shot Sean in the temple. Randall then shot Scott in the neck. He continued to shoot, hitting Sean in the chest while Scott darted away from the violence, but was again shot, but in the back this time. Sean managed to reach to his truck, hoping that Randall wasn't following him. Sean got into the truck and glanced at the rearview mirror. Randall was at the driver's side and pulled the trigger again, but the gun didn't fire. Farmer drove off, struggling to stay focused. Scott miraculously appeared and got in the truck, still scared that Ricky Williams, or Randall Lee Smith, was chasing after them. They sped off on the dangerous road. The curvy road had drop-offs, 10 to 20 feet. Scott, gushing blood coming out of his neck, made the assumption of sticking his finger in the hole of his neck, it would bide him time to make it to civilization. Sean was unsteady from the gunshot to his head and crashed the vehicle. Scott, still manageable, encouraged his friend to bear just a little bit longer that they were almost to town. They were going to die soon if they didn't make it. They were able to get to a neighborhood and Scott banged on the doors. A lady named Melissa Miller answered and she called 911. Later, the Miller family discovered that the missing posters were for good use as they showed the two fishermen. Indeed, it was Randall. Sean and Scott were flown via helicopter to a hospital in Roanoke. The two would end up surviving. Randall was eight miles away from Parisburg. He had stolen Scott's truck and eagerly fled when seeing a state police car and carelessly flipped the vehicle. Randall was upside down, severely hurt. 
but the officer described how horrifying Randall's eyes were. Cold. Randall was sent to Carillion Roanoke Memorial Hospital. May 9th, Smith was released from the hospital with warrants for attempting capital murder in the New River Valley Regional Jail placed in Dublin. He remained in the medical wing. The crazy thing is to me about this part of the story is the fact that Tom Lawson, who found Randall back in 1981, worked at that same jail. Unfortunately, at that time, Lawson was off that day. What a bizarre, strange full circle that is. However, surprisingly, Smith was unresponsive in his jail cell May 10th due to complications from injuries while flipping the truck off the road. Sorry if I butcher this, but Smith died due to acute pulmonary um, thrombolambolism. <laughs> um, let me do Google Translate. Thromboembolism. A blood clot, if you will. Giles County Lieutenant Ron Hamlin was told by Randall before his death. I'm ready to die. So, there you have it. Randall's life in a nutshell. He was quite the character, huh? Well, this story isn't over yet. Oh god, no it isn't. Remember what I said about witchcraft? The occult? Yeah, I was going to leave you hanging on that. This is cryptic, of course. I had the honor to sit down with a retired investigator who searched Randall's home after the attempting murders. And yes, I recorded the interview. I brought my good friend Noah with me, and, well, we discussed what bizarre, creepy belongings Randall had. Here it is. Grab a blanket and some popcorn. So I guess we'll start out with, will you introduce yourself, uh, your background, and what you have accomplished, and what do you do now? Basically, we just want to... <laughs> a little bit. Uh, my name's Mark Skidmore. Um, I... Uh, Retired in fall of 2013 uh, from the Giles County Sheriff's Department, where for 23 years before that, I believe it was, I was their uh, crime scene investigator sergeant. Um, I was in, I was over all of the major crime scenes, uh, you know, death investigations, um, everything like that, and um, retired in uh, September of 2013. We get. And um, now I work uh, for a uh, Giles Health and Family Center. We do a variety of things, including uh, like adult and child daycare and non-emergency medical transport. I'm their office manager here. Um, I guess we'll just take it back to 1981. Um, where were you during the time of the first murders? 
Okay. Spring of 1981, I was a senior at Nurse High School. Okay. And uh, I remember hearing about uh, the first murders, um, but I didn't have any firsthand knowledge of any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've uh, picked up since then, um, there were two hikers. It was a male and a female couple that were at the Wapiti shelter up on the Appalachian Trail. And they were um, both murdered, I believe. One was shot and the other was strangled or mm-hmm. stabbed. I'm not sure which. Um, also, I've learned since then that they uh, developed Randall Smith as the suspect on it. And through a uh, plea bargain agreement, he received a sentence of was it 15 years, I believe. Yeah, I think he got out in 15 years. Okay. Um so that's kind of what I was doing in 1981. So you don't, you had no idea who Randall was no. growing up around here. No, I did not. Um. All right. Well, then let's take it to 2008. When the 2008 attempted murders occurred, how were you assigned for the case? Uh, where were you when you uh, had to do the investigation? Okay. Um, when. Uh, it's my first involvement. It came as a well-being check. Uh, some of Randall's neighbors um, called and said they hadn't seen or heard from him, that his yard was growing up, um, hadn't been mowed, and they hadn't seen him around or anything. And they were, you know, concerned about his uh, safety, health, and whatnot. Um, so we uh, we went up to his house. And, of course, you know, knock on the door, looked in the windows, couldn't see anything. We actually made entry to his house, and um, it looked just like anybody else's house that they had just left. Um, we further investigated, found out his water, electric had been shut off uh, sometime before due to non-payment. And, um, but, I mean, his house, uh, there was no signs of any struggle or anything out of the way. It just, you know, uh, just wasn't anybody home. Mm pretty much kept to himself. I know we didn't have any trouble, any complaints, uh, no arguments with people, um, no criminal activity, uh, never failed to signal a lane change. I mean, he was essentially invisible uh, since he got out of uh, prison. Um, So we talked to the neighbors, and some of them said that uh, he didn't have any friends, but that they knew that he used to go up on the, the the up on the mountain behind his house and he used to set up there some cliffs up there and he would just sit up and watch the world go by mm-hmm. and um he um that you know we thought that maybe he had gotten up there fallen broken a leg or had a heart attack or you know, any number of uh any number of things so we uh had a pretty massive uh search uh had people on foot we had uh, dogs helicopters the whole nine yards to try and find him and uh, there's no sign of him up there at all. Um, so then we got his uh, DMV photo, you know, for his driver's license. We made uh, just a little rough poster. Um, has anybody seen this guy? We're you know concerned for his health, and we posted him up and down the Appalachian Trail uh, for you know a little stretch there because we knew he liked that you know area and thought maybe a hiker may have seen him and you know would you know maybe able to shed some light. Um, and that was pretty much um, 
you know, what we had done up to that point. You know, there wasn't anything else we could do. I'm going to say, I don't remember for sure, but I'm going to say it's less than a month later. I'm, uh, maybe even closer to like two, two or three weeks later. I remember getting a phone call at home, and it was uh, one of our dispatchers. And he told me that um, Randall Smith had just shot two people um, up in the same general area where um, all, all this was before. And um, they were, you know, looking for him. And um, so I came out, and before I got, um, you know, anywhere near getting into the National Forest, I uh, got another call that uh, he had um, come into Giles County, apparently on Forest Service roads. And, um, of course, we had word by then that he was coming. Um, he passed one police officer who, you know, pulled out behind him. And before he activated his lights, Smith passed another police officer was there. And when he saw two, you know, he knew this jig was up. And he... Uh, tried to outrun him, I think, and uh, didn't make it half a mile before he ran in the truck he was in up on a bank and flipped over. And um, they, you know, uh, got him and, uh, you know, called emergency services for him then, you know, an ambulance. And uh, he was, I think, airlifted down to Roanoke Hospital. Um, if I'm not mistaken, that all happened on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I go up there, I'm... Uh, Go up there that night, and it was pitch black dark. Um, and so, you know, I, I did what I could as far as you know processing my scene. You know, I don't want to mess anything up. Mm-hmm. And um, but um, and then uh, we had a deputy, you know, stay there overnight. And then I got a first light the next day, and you know, collected all the you know blood samples from everywhere. I mean, there was you could tell where they check, you know had run around the campsite and they were bleeding and whatnot. Um, also, the Cherokee that they were in. Um, was the night of the wreck, I worked the uh, traffic accident scene and recovered there, among other things, um, the gun. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's, was, there's, uh, there's a speculation or whatever where, was that the same gun he used back in 81 we don't know okay um we don't know and uh it was a 22 um the evidence from the 1981 case was long gone we had no physical evidence to compare it to Mm -hmm. um we did a atf transaction search and got where the gun was originally sold i think to him okay but the sale date listed on the paperwork I'm thinking was June or July uh, and the first murders happened in May but back then uh, of course now everything is done on computer everything is instantaneous and everything like that back then you know a small um, gun you know a store it was a bought I'd rather not give the name of the business they're out of business but the family's still around right um the uh, a store like that that sold guns, you know, they would fill out their paperwork, but they may not, you know, send it in for a couple months till they had, you know, several of them to send in at one time. And, right. 
all that. So it's possible that this was the gun. I mean, how would he get another gun? Same exact one with him being a felon as well. I mean, you can, you can, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the, uh, the gun show loopholes and flea market loopholes. Yeah. You know, uh, for me to go to local gun dealers and buy a gun, I've got to, you know, go through a background check and everything like that. Um, but if somebody's selling one at a flea market, Makes I go up and, you know, they don't even know who my name is. Right. They don't know what my name is or anything. Um, so as far as could he have gotten a gun, yeah. But um, uh, then um, it was a couple of days after this. Um, I was in my office and a, uh, an Appalachian trail hiker came in and uh, introduced himself as being uh, as Moon Dog. Moon Dog. Moon That's and the thing, right? Hikers have their own hiking yes, names. Uh, they ca- they call it the trail name, yeah. and I don't know if they if it is bestowed upon them or if they just decide on their own maybe there's a little bit of both but uh moon dog walks in and uh he said i've got uh something i need to tell you about and uh the night that all this happened he was camped in a rhododendron thicket and it was right near the forest service road from the shooting scene to the accident scene and um he said, you know, I was there, and I see this Ford Ranger, uh, you know, go up the road, and it stopped at the end. There was an old fire road. And he said, it stopped at the end of it, and um, he said, I saw the, you know, the door open. I saw a guy get out. He had a flashlight, and he was walking down the uh, this fire road, and he said, I know it was a Ford Ranger because I have one. And I recognized the tailways on it and the door chime. Well, because, you know, when he left the door, bong, 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 you know, it, it, it was a Ford Ranger. And I, you could look at the, you know, that's, I, I know it was. And um, so, so this guy uh, walked down this fire road with a flashlight and um, you could kind of tell the way he was walking that he was agitated. And then um, I saw him looking around, you know, like he's fishing around in the weeds for something. And um, I holler out, I, you know, holler out, hey! And that flashlight came up on me. Of course, I was some distance away, and uh, and he says, in hindsight, I'm glad I didn't have anything reflective. Mm-hmm. But uh, he said, then the, whoever, then the person with the flashlight said, cursed three or four times and, you know, went back up the fire road, got in the truck and left. So I asked him, said, can you take me back there? He said, yeah. So we went back to his uh, campsite, and um, he told me uh, to have uh, some of my other officers, you know, they parked up near the uh, the end of this fire road, found a couple things there that had fallen out of the truck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and he, the, this moon dog told me, he says, Tell them to walk down the path and drag the feet, make a little bit of noise as they go. And uh, and he closed his eyes and he listened to them walking down this path. And he says, "All right, there. Tell them to look around there." And sure enough, they look right over the bank, and there was a stash of stuff that we determined rather easily that belonged to Randall Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way we know it was his, because it was like his driver's license, 
his GED certificate that he got in prison. Um, there was a pair or two of blue jeans and uh, uh, a lot of uh, camping kind of stuff. Um, there were a whole bunch of little candles that uh, you know, backpackers will take a candle, they'll take a uh, aluminum can, you know, soda can or whatever, mm-hmm. and you can slice down one side of it, slice it around the top and the bottom, fold the two things open, put a candle in there, and it makes a pretty, pretty nice lamp. Hmm. Um, but uh, there were also, I don't remember the exact number, it was somewhere around 31 knives, and most of them were kitchen knives, but there was a butcher knife or two in there. Um, there were, I want to say, eight pair of ladies' underwear in there. Uh, several pair of eyeglasses that could have, that were either female or, uh, what do they call it, unisex. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, there was also a uh, one of the plastic relief maps you can buy that's you know has the mountains and stuff molded into it. And another paper map that had a couple of locations marked <laughs> on it and um, we searched those, we searched and searched those areas uh, I mean both for uh, any evidence that may have been where his camp was um, or if there were victims buried or anything like that um, so we had cadaver dogs and all um, didn't find anything at any of these locations um to this day, we never found his camp. Mm. Um, and uh, I remember there was a, a cassette tape player, a little portable cassette player, and a uh, cassette tape that had some type of a ritual recording on it. I mean, it almost sounded like a like a. To me, it sounded um, witchcraft or satanic ritual or something along those lines. Something really bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> don't know what that was all about. Um, found um, found some writings that were that had to do with uh, a form of the Wiccan religion. Um, and of course, I sent off. I, I don't even know how many items went on that went to the lab because anything that looked like it could possibly be blood. Mm-hmm on any of those knives that knife went in for analysis um the clothing uh, to see if i could find anything on any of that nothing uh the knives you know they were all of course they'd been out in the weather for this stuff was wrapped in a camouflage net and um and it had um you know been wet 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 and you know anything was long since gone uh ladies underwear same thing you know no evidence on them. Um, we checked with agencies from Maine to Georgia all along the Appalachian Trail to see if there was any uh, missing female uh, or missing people reports. Mm-hmm. You know, and nothing that, uh, you know, nothing came back. Um, don't know, um, you know, there was also like a, a little battery powered TV. Um, there was a copy of our tin I think it was a, a, a little handheld police scanner and a copy of our tin codes you know hmm. what's 10-4 mean what's 1076 mean and all that mm-hmm. 
and uh, but a, a lot of the camping stuff I, I honestly think was probably stolen that he you know stole it from campsites when people were you know fishing or whatever right <coughs> just kind of the feel it had um now that article that I read uh I think it mentioned that you're familiar with the Wakan religion is that how you pronounce it Wiccan Wiccan religion somewhat um and, you know, and largely what I learned um, was through this case. And uh, if you've ever seen the movie The Craft... I'm aware of it. I haven't seen it. That's a pretty good movie. Yeah. It's about four teenage girls that are witches. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's The Craft is witchcraft. Mm-hmm. But, um, and, uh, you know, I learned you know, some through it and then some from talking to, uh, you know, I, I, I have people from Virginia Tech... Uh, examine these these writings to see you know what they could tell me about them, mm-hmm. and um, they uh, you know it's it um, deals a lot with you know powers of wind, fire, water, air. Probably the other one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't remember. Earth, mm-hmm. and uh, you know worshiping nature's powers or whatever. That's that kind that's, of thing. It kind of relates to the the culture of uh, being a hiker. Say again. It's kind of like the culture of being a hiker in a way. Yeah, to a degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. That it was. Uh, I know I didn't have uh, as far as talking to him. Um, after he got out of the hospital and was arrested, of course, he was brought up here to our magistrate's office and you know, to be, you know, have a bond hearing, be processed, you know, committed to jail. And I remember asking him. Uh, he uh, was forthcoming with the you know booking information. What's your name? What's your address? What's your birthday? And uh, they asked him, um, you know, who should we list as your next of kin? And he paused for a second, and he was he was cold. I mean, just in his eyes was cold. And he says, "I ain't got no next of kin." Hmm. And that um, that's that's one thing I remember. And uh, it was uh, it was bizarre. I mean, I think he knew the jig was up. Yeah. And um, did you think that was like his last hurrah? That's why he brought all those stuff with him. I don't know. Um, I don't think that he left the house whenever he left the house. Mm-hmm. Um, Saying, all right, I'm gonna go out and you know shoot a couple people because I'd say he would have done it beforehand, mm-hmm. you know, not waited a couple of months. Um, I don't know. I've yet to figure out what trigger there was. Uh, we have, to the best of my knowledge, we don't know of anybody else that he did that. You know, come up and struck up a relationship mm-hmm. with. Um, I do know that he said that he was a, he told the boys that he was a retired professor from Virginia Tech. And um, they told me that they didn't buy into that because he just didn't seem to be, you know, educated. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, he was just crazy. Yeah. And you mentioned the. Uh him saying I don't have any kin. Uh, 
I interviewed somebody yesterday, and they told me that uh, someone told them that his dad was still alive and started a family in some other state. <clears throat> Maybe I don't know. Yeah, because I know I he, heard this. Yeah, I know he left him when he was six months old, I think. But that's what whoever uh, the person I interviewed they that's what they said. That's what they heard. I don't know how old Smith would be now if he were alive. He died when he was 54, so. 54, so he'd take on another 14 years, so he It's possible that Dad could still be alive, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, let's see. Do you have, like, any uh, thoughts on his mother that maybe that she knew more than what she said? Uh, no, I mean, I'm sure they talked at length to her back in 81. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I never heard anything bad about her. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it'd be a hard thing for a parent to rat out their own kid. Yeah. But from... Other things I've heard about me said she was a good woman. I think she worked at either a hospital or a nursing home or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the last question. Um, do you think that it was just him that did it? Nothing to indicate anything other than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got the stash of stuff that was he that appeared to be his. Um, I think his birth certificate was in there too now to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember also, I'm thinking that stash of stuff may have been there or somewhere out stashed for at least some of it uh, since the first ones. Because really? there was some old... The, now, the gun that he used, it was a old twenty two caliber revolver. Um, it misfired numerous times. The ammunition appeared to... There was no way to actually date the ammunition. There was you know, the casings from the scene um, or the ammunition was still on the gun or additional ammunition that matched that was in the gun from his stash. There's no way to actually date it, mm-hmm. but it looked quite old. And um, this gun, the, the mainspring was... Uh, not very strong. It misfired several times. In other words, I think it was click, 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 pow, click, pow, click, click, you know. Yeah. And um, and there were some uh, fish, fish hooks, a package of fish hooks in his stuff. And the price tag on it was from a uh, store called Ched's Department Store, mm-hmm. which uh, used to be here in Parisburg. And I think it went out of business sometime around the early 80s. Hmm. And so, you know, that would put, you know, that at least that pack of hooks has been somewhere, and it may have been at his house, and he brought it with him. I don't yeah. know, but um, that, some of that stuff may have been there for a while, mm-hmm. especially a the of, gun. It's a lot of knives to collect over a course of a couple of weeks. Why weeks. would anybody, you know, if if I'm going hunting, you know, my my daily carry is a Swiss Army knife. Carried them ever since I was in the Navy. Love them. Yeah. Um, when 
you know, if I was going to be out in the woods, I would have, you know, a hunting knife of some kind, maybe a smaller, you know, small working knife also. Um, I wouldn't have paring knives, steak knives, things like that. And I don't know why he had that many knives, you know, whether he used them as a, did he do some type of a ceremony, ritual, whatever that, you know, placing knives, you know, with, yeah. uh, who knows? When I read it, I was thinking that he seemed very obsessive, maybe. Which and, I guess being uh, his character and being knives, that would be something he could be very obsessive over, possibly. Very stabbing. Con- and controlling, um, you know, uh, the if I remember right, he sexually assaulted the female in the eighty one one. I'm not a I'm not uh what I read, um I think it was Washington Post, an old article, um, there were bruises around the vaginal area, but they didn't have enough evidence to determine that it was actual rape, but Okay. But I do know what? that he had this uh obsession with Females because he collected uh, pornographic magazines and he laminated them and had it in his room. <clears throat> so, in room where? In his house. In, before he we went in on the eighty-one. Yeah, around. Okay, because I didn't see anything like that. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, but uh, yeah. I didn't see anything like that. Mm-hmm. And there was no pornography in his stash of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I was going to say there wasn't a stash somewhere that we don't know about. Right. Now. And like I said, we never did find his camp to this yeah. day. Yeah. Do you know if those that tape recorder still exists? I, I don't know. Um, when we did the article for the Bluefield Daily Telegraph, have you seen it? Yes. Okay. Um, I actually got with the... Uh, the guys in the sheriff's department and they allowed me to go and get um, the uh, stuff. Now they had just moved out to their new facility and I know we couldn't find the tape then. Now it may have been um, I know that part of the move they did, they did a huge evidence destruction you know, it's no longer needed or whatever. You try and return it if you know who the owner is. If not, you just destroy it. Right. Um, I don't know if I mean, that may it, it may be there. It may not be. I don't know. Because I was wondering if it was, it would be available to like say us to like go and see. I can I can check and see what I can find out if they still have that stuff. Um, I know typically on murder investigations, you try and keep the evidence until the at least the death of the offender. However, offender's dead. Right. And. You know, you mentioned about um, the evidence that was you know recovered on the eighty-one case. You know, the the, uh, you know, the back then, um, 
they were greatly limited. You had to have a pretty substantial amount of specimen to be able to even do uh, a blood typing on it, you know, ABO, whether it's A positive, B negative, whatever. And, um, and then they could get into uh, uh, further into serology and breaking up. You had to have a fairly you know, significant amount. When I got into the forensics in the early 90s, I went to the Forensic Science Academy. Nice. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. Okay. It's put on uh, only for law enforcement in Virginia and it's taught in Richmond and when you go through um, you know the fingerprinting section of the class is taught by fingerprint examiners that you know are either uh, you know the senior people out here at the, you know at the state lab in Richmond or they bring people in from the FBI hmm. you know our drug stuff was taught by DEA um, it's a very in-depth um, class uh, that you know that's all it focuses on is you know identifying, collecting, preserving, and, um, you know, having tested, you know, different kinds of evidence to help you prove your case, how it's, you know, how, what all you can get from it. And I remember my, my DNA class, uh, my, my involvement with DNA uh, was during the academy, um, one of the serology uh, examiners came in and said, hey, there's this new thing out there um, I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, but it might. Um, it's got a lot of promise. But if anybody asks, you can tell them that you've at least you know, heard of it a little bit. It's called DNA. <laughs> it talks about your genetic fingerprint, and it has promise that it is very individualized. And, uh, and little did we know. Right. I mean, they don't even do conventional serology anymore. That's pretty fascinating that you were there and when they announced it. Yeah, and um, I mean... I guess before that, um, the Henry fingerprint classification system was probably the most ma major breakthrough in forensic science, and that was 1700s anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time ago. Because you know. they found Randall's bloody fingerprints on Susan's, one of Susan's books in her bag. That's how they found out okay. that it was him. Yeah. And I forgot to mention... Uh, when they did go to uh, his house back in 81, they, they saw the laminated uh, pornographic magazines, but they also f saw um, hospital instruments that he took from uh, when his mom worked at the hospital and used them as uh, sex toys. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that leans more with what Noah was saying about, you know, the possible needs for the knives. You know, maybe he, um, I don't recall any mention of him being a, a, a cutter, you know, a person who cuts himself for pleasure, which is... <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> I, I've encountered a few of those, too. Oh, yeah? And, uh, yeah, they're sad. Mm -hmm. They are. Well, I think that's all I have. Do you have questions? Uh, did you all use the uh, polymerase chain reaction test for the 2008 on the blood? What, like genetics, doing genetic testing, or did you not really have to? It doesn't sound like you would have had to. What we did there is, of course, I collected the blood from the scene from uh, mm -hmm. using you know sterile water on 
uh, sterile swabs, distilled water on sterile swabs. You do you moisten the swab, you apply it to the stain, allow the stain to. Well, I should have testified in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> allow you to take the stain to uh, transfer onto the swab, yeah, yeah. at which time I you know, air dry it and package it in paper and send it down to the lab. Also, I got samples of both victims' um, DNA, just uh, saliva swabs is all they needed. And then uh, Smith, um, I got a sample of his DNA um, and sent them all in. And basically what they did was they just said that, you know, this blood stain on the side of the Jeep on the door belonged to the one that was driving the thing. The blood stain from right here in front of this tent belonged to this person. Um, and I think, all, if I'm not mistaken, all the blood stains um, from the shooting scene uh, went back to one of the two boys, and of course, you know, Smith was you know, bleeding at the car, uh, you know, mm -hmm. when he flipped the truck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we have. Uh, thanks for your time, and uh, hopefully, this will uh, get some traction. Uh, we'll promote as best as we can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much. Okay. You're the next hour later. <laughs>do it for this episode guys i would like to thank you for listening to the second part of randall lee smith i would like to announce that there will be a third and final part to the story we will deconstruct randall and his motive behind all of this as well as the unsolved claims the witchcraft occult topic um comments and stories from people that knew randall and the new discoveries I gathered, which will possibly disturb you even more. <laughs> However, we cannot forget the victims of the story, as Robert Mountford Jr. and Susan Ramsey's spirits will live on. Robert, a jack-of-all-trades, who loved the outdoors, and Susan, a kind-hearted woman who was known to always have a smile on her face. To the surviving victims... Sean Farmer and Scott Johnson. Y'all two are some strong Southern boys. Stay proud. If you like the Cryptic Files, follow and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Write a review, too. I would like to continue with more content in the future, and with your help and support, I will be able to accomplish that. For updates and or pictures of the crime stories, follow the Cryptic Files Instagram by typing in at Cryptic Files Podcast. You can email me for questions and or recommendations by using crypticfilespodcast at gmail.com. Once again, thank you guys for listening. By the way, watch your back. It's cryptic out there. <laughs>